Colossians 3 is where we find ourselves this morning as we journey through this great letter of Colossians. And the first part of this letter we've covered, chapters 1 and 2, Paul was addressing to the church of Colossae. He was addressing this idea that they are to believe only in Christ and not things in addition to Christ. And he was talking about what not to believe and what to believe in the first two chapters. And now, as we go through chapters 3 and 4, we're going to look at more practical applications of what we are to do with what we know and what we believe, how we are to live with, uh, with what we now uh, know to be true about Jesus. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Uh, turn with me there, and let's read from the ESV translation. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There are two things that Paul wants us to get from these eight verses. The first is to seek heavenly things, and the second is to leave our old lives behind. So first, seek heavenly things. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. A better translation is not if, but the word since. Since you have been raised with Christ. The verb means to be resurrected or to be co-resurrected with Christ. So since you've been raised with Christ, it, the Greek is something that has happened to you in the past. The passive voice of the Greek word here is an act that's been done to you. So since it's already happened, since you've been raised with Christ, therefore seek the things that are above. The word seek here is really important for us to unpack. What does the word seek mean? It's a continuous deliberate action or act. You're seeking something. You're searching for something. And Paul is saying here, we are to search for the things that are above. Not necessarily think about all that heaven is like, although that's a good thing. If you go to Revelation chapter 21, you can read about what's to come. And even Revelation 20, you can see about what heaven is, is to be like. Uh, but really what Paul is getting here is we are to seek Jesus. We are to seek to know more about him and about who he is and what he has done. So if you think about seeking the things above, you think about seeking him. It's an ongoing effort that is required. You may not know this about Albert Einstein, but Einstein, before he became successful and a creator and inventor, he failed multiple times. He was dismissed from a school in Munich because he, he thought, or the professors thought he lacked interest in his studies. He then failed to pass an exam in his polytechnic school in Zurich, so he was, he was uh, rejected from his school in Zurich. And then he became a tutor for young boys uh, in a Zurich boarding school, 
which soon after he was hired, he was then fired because the professors and the, and the administration said, you really just lacked passion. You didn't seem to be interested in your studies. But here's the thing about Einstein. He persisted time and time and time again. He didn't give up. He kept going. And we know the rest of the story about Einstein. Howard Carter is another person I think about when I think about the word seek. You may not know who that is, but Howard Carter, he's the one who found King Tut's tombstone and all the treasures where, where it was buried with King Tut's body. Before he, he found this discovery, people criticized him for, for just his, his lack of creativity and his methods of trying to, to find this, uh, this great discovery. Well, because of his persistence, because he was seeking the treasure, he ended up finding it after many years of searching. These are just examples of persistence. And Paul wants us as believers to, to persist, to be persistent as we seek the things that are above and not get so caught up into the here and now of what this earth offers us. So how are we to seek the things above? He answers that question in verse 2. He says, to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. To set your mind, it means to think or to have an inner disposition. It's having a continuous mindset. I like what Gordon Lightfoot said. He said, you must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. So just as a compass needle, it orients towards the north, so we are to orient ourselves above. We are to set our minds towards things above. We are to be preoccupied with heavenly things and not preoccupied with earthly things. Now, you and I, all of us here, we know what it means to have our minds preoccupied on something. I know someone's here and they're about to get married in two weeks. They've been preoccupied with wedding planning. That's been on their mind and on their hearts the last year. Some of you who are pregnant, you've been preoccupied with getting the nursery ready, with getting ready for this baby. Some of you are also preoccupied with maybe finding a job. And so when you're looking for a job, what do you do? You, you search and you, and you talk to people, you network, you're preoccupied with getting a job or a better job. Some of you know what it's like when you're preoccupied with buying a house, that's all you think about. You go on Zillow and you look and you search until you find that right house and the right price. Same goes for a car. I recently did that where you're searching and you're spending hours looking at reviews and consumer reports trying to find the right car that's best suited for you. We all know what it means to be preoccupied. That's what Paul's getting at here. How are we to set our minds on things above? Well, we, we think about heavenly things. We keep our minds preoccupied on the things that are above. I like how one person put it. He said, a, a psychologist would say to look within. That's what most psychologists would say, look within. Maybe not Jim, but most psychologists, look within. The opportunist would say, look around. Look around at all these great opportunities. The optimist would say, look ahead. Look at what's to come. The pessimist would say, look out. Look out. You know what God would say? Look above. Look above. Aim high. Look above. Be preoccupied with the things above. So practically, what does it look like for you and me? Well, yes, it's to be preoccupied with, with Jesus and who he is and, and what's in store for us for heaven. But here's something you might want to think about doing. Instead of living your life with a closed fist, live your life with an open fist. 
Because you know that this life is fleeting and you know that this life will come and go. You won't take things with you when you die. I did a funeral yesterday. You just don't take things with you when you die. So live your life with an open hand, not a closed hand. And so maybe this week, try to think about something that is somewhat important to you that you can easily give away and give that thing away. Give it away because it's a reminder that this life is fleeting and that there's more to come in store for heaven to come. Hebrews chapter 12 is a great way to look at it. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Once again, we see here in Hebrews, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to set our minds on him, on heavenly things, and that's what will keep us moving forward in our faith. So that's how we do it. That's how we seek the things above. We set our minds to, to the Lord. But why should we do this? Uh, Paul gives us two reasons why in verse 3. For you have died, in verse 4 as well, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. How do we, or why should we seek heavenly things? Well, two reasons. We've died with Christ and we will rise with him. So again, verse 3, he says, you have died with Christ. Your life is hidden with him and God. You've died indicates that a death took place at your salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone away and the new has come. The old life of, as a non-believer that we lived, that's old news. That's yesterday's news. The new life in Christ has come because we have died to our old self. Just as Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, we too can identify with that death. I like how Galatians 2 tells us, I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. Just as Christ died, so we as believers have died. We, we are to put away our old ways of living and put on new ways of living. The ways of Christ and following him. My, uh, my predecessor, Jim Barnes, he, he used to give this story. He told me when when he discipled me, that I want you to think about how you have committed a grievous crime. And you know that the death penalty is, is coming. And I want you to rewind several hundred years ago, and I want you to imagine instead of the death chair, you're going to be hanged. And so you know that the punishment to your crime is you're going to be hanged. And so you're, the night before you're hanged, you're hanging, you're sweating bullets, you're losing sleep, then you wake up the next day and you know it's coming. And the man with the black uniform, with the black mask on, your hangman, he comes over and he opens up the door and it creaks. And then he walks you through a really dark alley and you're just awaiting your death. Uh, you get up to the noose and all of a sudden you see this other man up there and he's in a white robe. And he pushes you aside and he puts on the, the noose, he puts the rope around his neck and he says, hang me. And the hangman said, okay, and he hangs him. And then the hangman, as this guy in white is dying and he's pretty much dead, he looks over at you 
kind of confused, and okay, and then he looks over at this guy, and looks over at you again, looks over again, and finally looks over at you, and he says, that's your death, but you didn't have to die. That's what Paul is talking about here. You have died with Christ. He took on your debt. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is perfect. He demands us to be perfect. None of us are. So therefore, he had to come to this earth. His son came and he lived a perfect life and he died a death that we deserve to die. And so we identify as believers with that death. So we are to put aside our old ways of living as non-believers. We are to say, I'm a new man and woman of God. I'm gonna fight this sinful lifestyle that I used to be living. I'm gonna fight it on a daily basis. It's gonna be a war, but I'm gonna fight it because I'm in a war zone. I'm not on a playground. I'm in a war zone and I'm gonna fight this. That's what Paul's getting at here is, is why do we seek heavenly things is because we've died with Christ and our life is hidden with Christ. What does it mean with our life being hidden? Well, the union between Jesus and his people is hidden from man's observation, meaning we can't see Jesus in people, right? His spirit is in believers. His spirit is united with us, so we are united with Christ. Is hidden, but over time, you'll begin to see people by their, by their fruits, by the way they live their lives, if they are indeed filled with the Holy Spirit. And so again, he's saying, why are we to set our minds on things above? Because you've died to the old way of living. Now put on the new. And then he goes on to say, we will also rise with Christ. That's why we are to set our minds on things above. Verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love this verse. When Christ who is your life, he's saying Christ should be your life. It shouldn't be anybody else or anything else. Christ should be who you represent and he should be your focus, your focal point. You should want to follow him and love him and serve him. And if you're wanting to serve and follow other things, you're doing something wrong. Follow Christ. He is your life. And when he appears, you too will appear with him in glory. Yesterday, I did a funeral. And it was just another reminder of how this is not our home, but heaven is waiting for us as believers. Our, our, our home is in heaven. And when Jesus will return, we too will rise. We will rise. And the dead who have perished will rise. And they will have glorified bodies. No more aches and pains. No more cancer, no more illness. We'll be whole and perfected. That's why we are to seek our minds and our thoughts on things above. Philippians 3 tells us our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is found in heaven. We are to set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth because the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Winston Churchill, he, he ended up putting together his own funeral. By the way, I was talking to somebody yesterday at the funeral and they said, hey, I'm gonna send you um, instructions on what I want you to preach and, 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 and what, how I want the funeral to go. I would encourage you, just like you do with your wills, do that with your funeral. Go ahead and start writing it down. Even if you're 20 years old, start writing it down because you never know when your time is coming. Write down what you once said in your funeral. It'll make it very easy for your family 
uh, because they're mourning and they're grieving. It'll make it easy if you write out a lot of your own funeral. Winston Churchill did that. And at his funeral, after he died, uh, his funeral was held at St. Paul's Cathedral. And at the end of the service, he requested that taps would be played. Now, for those of you military people like me, taps is the military sign that the day is over. So he said, okay, I want the taps to be played like the day's over, I'm dead, it's over. But then he said this, after a long pause, after playing taps, I want the trumpeter to play Reveille. You know what Reveille stands for? It's a brand new day. Why did Churchill want that? He's saying, it's not over. I've got a brand new day. I'm in heaven where I'll, I'll be in heaven with Jesus forever. And so again, we need to think about that. Not get so caught up into the here and now because heaven is coming. Seek your minds on things above. The second thing that Paul tells us to do is to leave our old lives behind. How are we to do that? First, he says, put it to death. Slay it. Discard it. Get rid of it. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Put to death what is earthly in you. How do we do that? Well, we kill it. We cut ties with our sinful patterns. We slay it. We deprive of its power. Now, if you notice, Paul gives us in verses 5 through 8 two different lists of sins. The first list we see in verse 5, what he's referring to here is personal sins, things that we think about. The next list that he gives us is verse uh, verse 8, and these are referred to as sins of wicked hate, the more social sins, relational sins. So let's look for a minute about the personal sins that he gives us in this list in verses 5 and 7. Put to death sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It's porneia is the Greek word, pornography. It's a picture about sexual sin. It's relations between unmarried people. It's looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. That's what sexual immorality is. He's saying, put away with it, throw it away. The second thing he says is impurity. It builds on, the list builds on one another. Impurity is filthiness, it's uncleanliness. It's going beyond the act of evil thoughts and intentions of the mind. It's, it's now not just thinking about it, but in looking at it, it's actually letting your mind kind of drift as you're thinking about that image you saw or that thing that you're longing for. The third word is passion. It's sexual passion set loose in the body. Jesus refers to this in Matthew 5 when he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying this is where it's taken it to a different level now. When you get to passion, Evil desire is lust created in the mind where the desires become so great the person is overtaken by them. They're overcome by them. And then finally, greed is more of covetousness where it's a root cause of sin. It's consumed with it. You know, I talk a lot of times to people who have struggled with alcoholism or with opioids or with sex, uh, pornography. I've, I've talked to people who are really struggling with this stuff. And, and this is how it starts, right? It, it starts with just a look, then it starts with a thought, and then it just becomes you. And, and that's all you seek. That's all you're looking for. Paul is saying, put those things to death. You're a new person in Christ. You slay it. You put it to death. And you don't keep going back to it. You know, I, uh, my, my wife and I were finally out of the diaper days. <laughs> And, you know, we, at one point we had four kids, five and under, and that was wild. Um, 
lot of diapers in that season of life. And I know this is kind of graphic, but I, I remember, I remember distinctly, and if you've changed a lot of diapers, you know what I'm talking about. I remember, you know, you, you change the diaper and you, you go to the trash can and you throw it away and you put the lid on it and you say, Whew, I don't want to smell that in anymore. You know, I never once went back to the trash can and opened up just to smell it again. <laughs> I didn't, right? I put it away. That's what Paul is referring to here. He's saying that old life that you were living, yeah, it might lure you for a second, but it's going to lead you nowhere. Put it away. Throw it away and put the lid on it and run I like what 1 Corinthians says, what he said here, Paul, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Flee, run, get out of there, escape. What did Joseph do with Potiphar's wife? He ran. I love that image. He's like, I'm out of here. You know, I was talking to a, a chaplain. He was a Catholic priest. I said, brother, how do you do it, man? So how do you not get married? I said, there's so many benefits of being married. I mean, my, my wife is my best friend. You know, we, we help each other become more like Christ. That's the big picture marriage. You know, there's other benefits too. Like, how do you do it? And he said, well, you know, when it's like 11 o'clock at night, and my mind's starting to race, I run to the gym and I just work out. I was like, okay, all right. He ran, right? He said, instead of being tempted, I'm running. I'm running and I'm, I'm burning off some steam here. That's a, that's a good way to, to throw off the old man. Set it aside. I like what Richard Baxter said. You sin and it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. And, and though it bring you to the grave as it did Jesus your head, it shall not be able to keep you there. Kill it. Slay it. Take off the old man and put on the new. Get rid of it. So the first thing he says is get rid of it, slay it, kill it. The second thing he says us to do is verse 8. He's saying put them all away. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Once again, he gives us a second set of lists. And by the way, all these sins are not exhausted. There's so many more sins we need to fight with. He just focuses on these two main ones. The second list is more about relational sins, not just internal, personal. Now he's talking about relational. This is what can really impact a church community or a family or your relationships in a negative way. Put these things away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. They build on each other once again. Verse four, anger. It's a smoldering anger. Anger. It's under the surface anger. You begin to boil with anger and a little bit of resentment. Wrath then comes next, where wrath is boiling over that cannot be kept inside, and, and you begin to burst out of, of anger. You begin to leak out. Jonathan Edwards, I'll give you an example here. It's really funny. He had a daughter who struggled with wrath and anger. She had a bad temper. And this young man came to him asking him for her, for, for her hand in marriage, and he said, Sir, I love your daughter. Will you give her to me? And he said, No. And he said, Why? I'm, I'm in love with her. And he said, No. And he said, well, she loves me, then why? And he said, no. And he goes, well, I don't understand. If we love each other and she's a Christian, you know, why wouldn't you give your daughter to me in marriage? And he said, she is a Christian, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. He was talking about his own daughter. He said, she struggles with temper, anger. She's mean. You don't want to marry 
a woman like that, this is his own daughter. Isn't that crazy? Anger, wrath, malice is next. Malice is wanting to get even with the person who hurt you. Think about the, the account of Esther. Remember Haman? Now he's angry at Mordecai for not bowing down to the king's edict. It was just this malice. He, he has this viciousness of mind towards Haman. Slander is the next one where you begin to speak negative about another person behind their back. You don't just speak negative behind their back, but you start making things up. You start making lies about them. That's slander. And finally, obscene talk. This is just using all kinds of words that describe a person in a negative way. It could be curse words. It could be blasphemy. It could even be sarcasm. I've been teaching Abby sarcasm. It's really fun. But sarcasm can be, sarcasm can be a bad thing too if you're not careful. It can be obscene too if you're not careful. So watch that. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus said, it, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So Paul's getting at watch what you say because a lot of that comes back to your anger inside. Some of you struggle with anger. Some of you do. Some of it is not pretty when it comes out. I saw it yesterday at a UT football game. It ain't pretty when people get angry. I see it on the road all the time. It ain't pretty when people have road rage. Paul's saying, put that old life behind. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. Be patient with people. Don't be irritable. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. In 1665, there was a plague in London. You may have heard about it. It's the Great Plague of London. Uh, what, what made it so tragic is they didn't find the cause of it until several months into it. And what was going on was that well, wealthy people, they tried to flee the city, but they would go to the next city and they would meet these villagers armed saying, you can't come into our city because you may have the plague. We don't, we don't want that plague in this city. The poor people were left just hopeless and afraid hoping that they would just survive from this plague. You know what was happening is people were not watching their hygiene and they were giving the shirt off their back to their friends and their relatives and their family and to the poor. There was even an account where after people had died, they would take the, the dead person's clothes and they would give it to people. It ended up infecting people. I want you to imagine being in that scenario and I want you to imagine knowing that these clothes were given to you had been infected by someone who had the plague, what would you do with it? You would burn it. You would say, get rid of it. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying our old life, we've got to get rid of. The sinful lifestyle that we were living in, we gotta flee from it. We gotta run from it. We gotta put it in the trash and seal it and don't go back and smell it. We've got to run away. And why do we do these things? Verse six. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's why God disciplines those he loves. So even if, even if you're a believer, yes, you will still experience some discipline. Just like we have to discipline our kids when they disobey. God disciplines those he loves. But if you're a non-believer here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, wrath is coming. And I hate to say that, but it's true. Wrath is coming. We believe in a holy, righteous God a wrathful, just God who must punish sin. And so that judgment day is coming. And if you're not prepared, you will experience the wrath of God and then you'll be sent to hell for eternity. And I don't want that for anybody. 
So how do you become a Christian? You repent of your sins, you believe in Jesus, and you commit your life to following him. Your life will be transformed. You'll still fight with sin every day, but he's gonna help you in the fight because he's in you. He's with you. His spirit is hidden with you and in you. So know you're not alone in the battle, but Jesus is right there with you. Let's pray.